Hello, everybody. Brett Stewart here. Apologies for the delay of episodes in your feed. I think it's been about a month since we released our last episode, which I think is the longest hiatus of sorts that we've ever had here on the program, either here or on Geek Cinema. So for many years, we've released stuff on a mostly weekly basis. So I really appreciate everybody holding tight and uh, checking in on us to make sure we're okay. Really appreciate that. Uh, Myself, David, and Nicole are doing just fine. Life just hit everyone really hard over the last month and change. And that means first and foremost, I hope everyone is staying healthy and safe and same with you and yours and your family and friends. Uh, you know, we all need to do our part to help flatten this curve wherever you are. And that means, you know, staying inside and washing your hands and hopefully wearing masks if they're available to you. Uh, that's one of the things that Nicole has been incredibly preoccupied with is she's been making a ton of masks for local hospitals and uh, David moved across the country, which I can't imagine doing right now. It, just unbelievable. And uh, I've been rescheduling my wedding and I, I work in a very high need field right now. Um, so we've all been incredibly busy, but we do really want to get back into the swing of things now. So here is what I am proposing to you, the audience. Uh, starting with this episode, we're going to get back to a weekly cadence. We're going to try to pop a couple extra episodes in there, uh, depending on production time. And I think we're going to be able to, because we'd like to get all caught up. We have a nice little backlog here because of this delay. So let's get those all out so you can enjoy them. And here's the thing. It's hard to listen along with the show sometimes, uh, or rather watch along. I realize that all three of us have to set aside the time on a weekly basis to watch these movies, and even for us, that can really be a time crunch sometimes. But hey, uh, most of us are home, and if you're not home, thank you for working uh, in an essential field. If you're a nurse or doctor or working in a grocery store or anything like that, uh, you, you are so appreciated. But most of us are sitting home and either working from home or hopefully uh, we'll be working soon when this is all over and hopefully moving along quickly. So you have the opportunity to watch the movies along with us. And we'd really love you to do that. Take the time. We're all home. Uh, watch the movies, follow along, and email us, hi, hi, at mgrpodcast.com, or on Facebook, on Twitter, just search Movie Go Round Podcast. You will find us there. And let us know your thoughts about the movies. We've had engagement here and there over the years, and let's really try to pump it up during this time where we can at least all bond and enjoy the movies together and talk about them because that is the wonderful thing about this medium and art as a whole is that uh, yeah everything's not too great right now and hopefully it's going to get better but at least we can enjoy this at home together so please follow along we'd love to hear from you on any of those platforms and without further ado thank you for listening and this is ex machina Hello and welcome to Movie Go Round, a film discussion podcast that rotates between different themes every single week on a five-week schedule. This week's theme is Future Classics. Everybody, my name is Brett Stewart. Joining me on this fine evening, as always, David Luzader. How are you? I am doing well. 
That's all I got this week. I don't know. I, I wasn't prepared for some reason. <laughs> and caught Nicole, me by surprise with that question. Nicole Davis, how are you? I'm doing quite well, Brett. I have all my skin on today, and I'm wearing my proper wig, and uh, I'm ready to operate. Normal things people say. Yes. <laughs> of course, of course. Now, Future Classics is the opportunity for someone to pick a film that has come out in the last decade. At this point now, we are 2010 and onward. We can no longer do 2009 uh, because we're in 2020. And you have to pick a film that you thought might be a classic in, in some way, shape, or form. And sometimes there's qualifiers of this will be a cult classic or this will be a film school classic. We've thrown that around quite a bit. So you can... You can MacGyver that in however you want, but ultimately, you must decide that it is in some way a classic when you bring it to the panel. David brought this week's. Before we introduce it, however, I do want to introduce next week's movie. It is an around-the-world pick where Nicole is going to introduce us to an international film. Nicole, what are we watching? Well, um, this week, the, this upcoming week, we are going to have what I believe is our first inspirational sports movie Dangal which is an Indian film came out a couple of years ago uh, it's about a pair of sisters who wrestled for India in the Pan Am in the uh, Pan Asian Games so this is spelled D-A-N-G-A-L correct 2016 correct it's available on Netflix cool alright I'm excited for it check that out next week Hi, everybody. I'm going to pipe in here in post-production because that's not what we are watching. Uh, Nicole ended up changing her pick to I Lost My Body, the 2019 animated French film. We recorded this around the time of the Academy Awards, and the film was nominated uh, for Best Animated Feature, Lost to Toy Story 4. So Nicole wanted to highlight it here on the show. So I Lost My Body is next week. Now, this, however, is Future Classics, and David picked Ex Machina, or if you were like me before I heard someone else say it, Ex Machina, but it's, as, <laughs> it's Ex Machina, came out in 2014. Uh, a young programmer is selected to participate in a groundbreaking experiment in synthetic intelligence by evaluating the human qualities of a highly advanced humanoid AI. David, why did you pick Ex Machina for your future classic. All right. So I picked Ex Machina because I think it's a movie that more and more people are discovering. It's sort of already got a little bit of like a cult classic feel to it, but I, I always feel like more and more people are discovering it and generally liking it. Um, you know, not everyone's going to love everything, but people tend to appear to be liking this movie. And also, uh, I think that what makes some movies endure is how well they reflect the time period in which they exist. And I, I think this movie does reflect the time period in which it exists and the thoughts about the future uh, and what we may be capable of or what technology might be capable of, uh, which is why I'm going to say a real hot take here right now, but I'm going to stand by it. This movie is the Jurassic Park of the 2010s. Ooh, interesting. Ooh. And I think in order for it to be the Jurassic Park of the 2010s, you have to have something like, for instance, in Jurassic Park, the overarching villain is like corporate greed and people not listening to what the scientists are telling them to do and, and not doing the right thing for the world and for the environment. And it seems like in this, it's Google. 
Um, it's, it's not. It's not a one to one. It's not a one to one parallel. No, no. I, but I, I, I'm actually saying that in, in, in like supporting what you're saying because Blue Book, which is the company funding this entire operation of Oscar Isaac's character Nathan, he's the CEO of the company. Blue Book uh, runs seemingly like a giant tech conglomerate, like Google or Amazon uh, or Microsoft. That one's probably third, second tier compared to those two. But my point stands, um, you know, he teaches the AI in the film by piping open every single open uh, camera and microphone across the world through all the phone networks and the IP addresses and pulling in webcams and pulling in phones. And uh, that is something that would technically be possible. You'd have to coordinate with carriers, which he allegedly does in the movie. Um, but this is something that's not that far off. There are genuine concerns that people have today in 2020 about misuse of their microphones throughout various devices at at a scene in the movie when uh when oscar isaac and donald gleason are looking at the other remnants of avas that have come past and they're kind of talking about our components the camera could have panned slightly and uh jeff goldblum could have been there and he could have said (laughs) your scientists were so concerned with whether or not they could they didn't think about whether or not they should and it would have fit within the context of this movie yeah that's true I guess in that sense, it, it is the Jurassic Park of the decade. Although, I would argue that if you're going for like sheer spectacle, well, yes, would, it's not that. Like, Fury Road would be the Jurassic Park of the decade. Yes, yes. I, I, I mean, more the sort of spirit of Jurassic Park. Um, the whole idea, you know, because it. it it kind of came from this whole idea, like Jurassic Park, you know, it's like cloning was starting to become a thing. It's like, what's the possibility of that? Like, can we clone mm-hmm. dinosaurs? And like that, but the movie sort of explores that in the book as well. I, I understand Jurassic Park is a book. Uh, <laughs> but like this movie kind of has that same idea of like, what happens if somebody builds a human AI or like a, a, an AI that is sentient? Yeah. And, and even if you think about it in the context of today in 2020, we're not, I mean, we're very, very, very far off from Ava in this movie, but I could say, hey, Google, I have to whisper it or else like four of them will go off in my apartment. <laughs> I'm not even joking. Um, and I can say it and ask it pretty much anything. And it's going to give me a very prompt response. Will it pass the Turing test? No. Um, does it, is it sentient? No. But is that information readily available through voice command? Yes. Uh, you know, this is something that is certainly something that, a lot of companies are playing with, with various ways of building AI. So I think that's actually a fair comparison in many ways. I I didn't even think about that. Uh, Director Alex Garland described the future presented in the film as 10 minutes from now, meaning if somebody like Google or Apple announced tomorrow that they had made Ava, we would all be surprised, but we wouldn't be that surprised. Those are his words. Yeah, Yeah, I feel like Jeff Bezos is maniacal enough. Maybe it's yeah. just, I don't know. Maybe it's just the way he looks, but he he's a little maniacal to me. Uh, don't sue us, Amazon. Okay. Um, <laughs> Alex Garland is a cynical bastard, man. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> oh, he really is. Yeah, wait till you get to the end of this damn movie. Woof. Um, let's talk about the three actors, though, because there's really four. There's four, I think, technically, if you wanted. You know, you have a shout out to uh, David you put in our docket. Uh, Sonoya Mizuno. I believe uh, is her yes. name. Yes. And so she plays Kyoko. she plays Kyoko who is one, yes. one, like a deactivated um 
AI that is no longer housing the the tech and brains of what Ava is running. Yeah, I Why do you I, think that? Well, she's apparently been more sub, she's been made more subservient or so Nathan thinks. Uh, no, see, yeah, I just see, talked about her being an earlier version that he, where he'd like disabled oh, her ability to speak. Interesting. Uh, the, the reason that I wanted, so there's four speaking roles in this movie, which is the three uh, um, actors that Donald Gleason, Alicia Vikander and Oscar Isaac. And then Corey Johnson also has a line in the beginning of the movie, <laughs> uh, but she doesn't. And she's in this entire movie and she's an actress that I've come to like. Uh, I've seen her in a few other things as well. And I just think she's great. And I want to make sure that she gets some recognition. Cause I think also for a not speaking role, she's asked to do like a lot of stuff in this movie. Uh, some of it is like being lounging around naked and it's like kind of weird and crazy, but she's like still really good and pretty awesome. And I just want to make sure we didn't uh, totally pass her by. Well, she's also got a non speaking role in a follow-up Alex Garland movie annihilation. She is yes. the, um, uh, Oh my gosh. Is this the annihilation guy? The- Yes, the, this is the same the, director as Annihilation. Oh, this makes so much more sense. Yes. Okay. I saw Annihilation. Now I'm now it's clicking. Interesting. <laughs> okay. Um, but yeah, let's talk about these these four performances. You know, to David's point, she's really good with what she has to work with in this film, um, Sonoya. But also we do have Alicia Vikander, as you said, David, as Ava. We have Oscar Isaac as Nathan, the maniacal CEO. And then we have scrolling up to my fanatical <laughs> donal gleason as caleb the 26 year old programmer that works for his company that uh is fooled in a way to come and be a part of a human turing test and all three of them are really spectacular in this movie i thought and particularly for me personally uh oscar isaac is so foreboding and threatening without well, while also being a total bro like he walks that <laughs> oh, balance yeah. really well with Caleb that makes him always feel like a loose cannon uh Oscar Isaac based his character of Nathan on uh, Bobby Fisher and Stanley Kubrick who he saw as mysterious, <laughs> elusive geniuses. The iconic look of the latter also served as the inspiration for his beard, apparently, is what he claimed. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, was he as dis- distressing to you guys? Because, my goodness, like he never really goes quite off the chain, at least not till the very end of the movie, but he always has the ability to just shut Caleb down, disregard what he's saying get a little angry with him and frustrated with him and completely redirect the conversation and you never know when he's just going to snap and do that and i thought as a performance that just made him very eerie you knew something was up straight from the get-go but you really didn't know what yeah he just he comes off as one of those guys who is just really sure that he's the smartest man in the room all the Mm -hmm. time no Mm -hmm. matter what room he's in uh and gives me the impression that he would never ever ever believe that a woman would a hundred percent be able to follow what he's talking about (laughs) (laughs) it's never explicit but there's there's certainly an undercurrent of sexism coming from him there's there's a lot of gender 
mm-hmm. uh, not politics, but the their their gender issues kind of overlaying a lot of things in this movie. Yeah, and he uh, to your point of like he always feels like he is the most important or the smartest person in any room. Like he can't quite admit that Caleb is a good programmer. Like it's like you're okay. Well, eh, you're pretty good. Like he has you know he can't start with the like well, you're a pretty good programmer, but you're not the best. Thing. He has to like undercut him at first. And then he admits, like, yeah, yeah, okay, you're you're pretty good. Uh, but I think this role with someone else would have been really chewing the scenery, uh, which he doesn't do. And I think that would have made this a totally different movie if the character was really mustache twirly. <laughs> Instead, he plays that, like, slightly believably unhinged. Like, the, the character is very real. And that, I think, kind of makes yeah. it a little bit more unsettling. Yeah, I, I t- two points to that. I think first of all, the trope of the jerky genius can get really boring really quick, um, and he does a good job of maneuvering that and staying really captivating throughout the movie. And he doesn't feel like a trope. And then the second part of that, to your point, Nicole, is yeah, he's got lady issues because all he wants to do is make lady robots and be mean to them. Uh, and, you know, and have sex with them, apparently. Right. Yeah. Uh, but there, there's no ma- male robots and he's gone through several iterations. We see five or six and it's always women. It's always attractive women. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so... He's a bad guy. Oh, you made Brett uncomfortable. (laughs) He's a bad guy. Not nearly as uncomfortable as Donald Gleason asking if they developed Alicia Vikander based on his porn history. (laughs) (laughs) Hi, Brett's mom. Um, Yes. (laughs) That is, uh, yeah, that's that's a definite thing that, that comes up in the movie is sexuality. And I mean, he admits flat out that part of the reason you know he gives the intellectual answer which is he thinks that it's actually a a fundamental part of conscious animal life is Mm -hmm. sexuality um especially all animals that are self-aware have some kind of sexuality but he's he also admits straight up that he put it in there because it's fun he said (laughs) because he can basically Right. Well, there is the, you know, it's not so subtle that he believes himself to be something of a god and he is making life. And if he's going to make life in his own image, you know, it's going to be sexual, I guess. Yeah. And there's some biblical tie ins, you know, in that regard. You know, first of all, they're on this sprawling giant estate where no one can get out. It's hundreds of miles, supposedly, of of woods and rough terrain, you need a helicopter to get even close. And that felt very Eden-esque to me. I don't... There's two items here when I was doing some reading that kind of clicked with me. The first is that the previous android, the one we get a little bit more of than the other's name was Lily. Um, Lily being like the first wife of like Lilith of Adam. And then you have, on the flip side of this, Ava is clothed the entire film, I'm sorry, not clothed the entire film um, until she kind of commits her, you know, quote unquote, original sin, right? She kills Nathan spoiler at the end of the movie. We'll get to that later. What about when she puts on clothes? Yeah. She she dresses up for Caleb. 
Yeah, she dresses up for him, but there is like this spectacle of, I have now killed him. I am now not only going to go put on clothes, but also put on you know skin for the first time by taking it off of one of the other models. And that very much is like a a human thing of I am now clothed and that that's the biblical part of like, you know, Adam and Eve go and get clothed after they've committed their original sin. I feel like there's something there. I don't feel like I'm grasping too far at straws. Well, it's just interesting to know that you were watching a Darren Aronofsky film the entire time. Apparently, <laughs> This wasn't I, mother. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I, I kind of, I get like, you can definitely draw some parallels. Um, I, I don't know if that was maybe necessarily on, uh, Alex Garland's mind when he it was very well might not have been, yeah. But 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 I see like you know the whole Ava Eve thing is not you know I think there are stuff that you can like because those are myths that have repeated and and come up in stories all the time. So I don't think it's too far removed to say like there's parallels. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And and she doesn't really do anything bad until they're at the very end, you know, because. We could have the conversation we've had a million times over and over, which is, what really makes you human? Um, but <laughs> refer to any other episode we've seen, <laughs> uh, we've watched with, you know, Blade Runner, what have you. But she definitely makes some very interesting decisions toward the end of the film. And I suppose we can get to those a little bit later. Well, but... But is... Is she, you know, quote unquote, free from sin until the end of the movie? She's doing a lot of deception. She's telling a lot of lies. That's true. That's true. Lie of omission. You still got to see say three Hail Marys for those. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, we'll get we'll get to the end a little bit later. I want to talk about some other things here. Uh, David, you put the design of Ava in our docket. Why don't you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I just wanted to to point out because um, this movie had a $15 million budget. I, I believe it won the Academy Award for visual effects. Uh, visual effects. And yeah, it's, and was, this was the year The Force Awakens was released. Yeah. 2014? Uh, I believe so. Wasn't it? Wasn't The Force Awakens like the very end of the year? Who? No, no, it was 2016. But Force no, Awakens was 2016? What? Then? Maybe I'm wrong. Oh, anyway, I don't it'd know. Be anyway, some like major science fiction movie. I know that. <laughs> uh, the the but the, I wanted to uh, just uh, the, you can go. There's some videos online that talk more about it. Um, the VFX artist React uh, number nine talks uh, quite a bit about this movie and points out some really interesting stuff. Um, just how much work this movie was and and Eva especially they created the design they or the uh, the suit they created for Alicia Vikander to wear was very clever um because it had uh it, it was like that all gray that you know her chest and sort of uh like pelvic region were but it had like these black bars that were kind of like that were nice indicators um, you know, they left her hands and feet, which are the, thing, the things that interact with the the real world. So you don't have to worry about animating that because that's very difficult. Uh, but because of how they shot the movie and how long some of the shots are, uh, like the average shot length in this movie is eight seconds, which is a lot longer than most other movies, sci-fi especially. Um, and just how much work they had to do uh for her, uh, another thing I want to point out is that Jock, the comic book artist, uh, did the original designs for Ava, which is really cool for me. And uh, someone else will probably find that neat. <laughs> uh, but what 
do you guys think was the most difficult shot from a VFX standpoint in the movie? Uh, Nicole? That's so hard because there's so much there's so much glass in mm-hmm. Ava's area, so many reflective surfaces, and they changed the lighting very often in there. And and because of the way they shot it, they couldn't uh, usually you just like make a reflective material later that you know reflects whatever you've already shot they couldn't do that they had to hand do all the glass um yeah wow. so got me maybe ava outside like the the imagining ava outside in the natural setting Brett, yeah you have a, you have my thought would be goodness i mean there's shots of her when he's watching her on the cctv and you get like the full like robotic body but Mm -hmm. i feel like that's the easy answer because like it's it's a really (laughs) it's a really great design like i do want to call that out as well is that this is is no irobot um (laughs) sorry irobot but just like i've seen so many robots and i feel like the design here is a perfect hybrid of 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 human and human slash android in a really unique way um but Mm -hmm. david what is the most difficult shot from that perspective is the is the part when she holds up a picture for him to look at and it's just her arms are straight forward and she's holding it still uh and it's like a 16 second shot that she's just holding it there the reason that's so difficult is because when you're moving a lot those are big movements those are easy to track um for people who have to go do like the animation you know, you're tracking big movements. That's easy. When you're holding still, you're never holding still. You're still shaking. There's little micro movements. So when she's holding her arm out there, it's she's moving sometimes just like a, a couple pixels at a time, frame to frame. And they, since it all, they had to go in and do it all by hand, it's like all these little small, delicate movements because that shot lasts for so long. Yeah. Interesting. I mean, another part of the clever design is the costume. You know, she had to wear mm-hmm. this super snug bodysuit that didn't show any wrinkles even when she sat down or stood up. And those those black bars serve another yeah. purpose, which is they hide the seams. You know, they hide the, the zipper. They hide the, you know, various pieces attaching together. It's- I can't imagine that was easy to get on. No, it and just like from every perspective, the design of her character in the movie, but also the design of her like suit, it's genius. This movie deserved to win. It's it's awesome. <laughs> yeah, especially a fifteen million dollar budget. That's remarkable. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nicole, you mentioned all the reflective surfaces, the glass panels, the doors, even our final shots of Ava. We don't actually see her. We see her reflection. We see her shadow. Um, Let's talk a little bit about those because they're all over this. In fact, at one point, Caleb uh, says something about, you know, through the looking glass or something like that. He's referencing Alice in Wonderland or, or at least a second Alice in Wonderland book. And um, that actually maybe I'm grasping at straws again here at a different um, parallel. But that parallel made even more sense to me because, you know, through the looking glass is all about, you know, Alice goes through the looking glass, realizes, you know, she is the 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 lowest on the totem pole and that she can work her way up to be queen and i think that there's part of that with ava ava realizes that she is always controlled 
by Nathan. Uh, and she plays the game really well. They even mentioned chess several times. She plays the game really well to get out. But back to the panels. Yeah. <laughs> that was more of my... The, <laughs> yeah, I, I just I thought there was an Alice in Wonderland parallel there a little bit. I construed it partly as, um, you know, uh, reflections, different aspects of people's personalities reflected in the glass. There's one particular shot where Caleb and Ava are talking and you can see Caleb through the glass and you can, can see Ava and Ava's reflection on the glass in front of her. So there's like two of her and one of Caleb in that shot. And it's both very pretty and it, it made me stop and think a minute, you know? So is it, is there like a, a duplicity being illustrated in that shot? Um, also just, there's this false, there's the intimacy that you can build with intelligences on the other side of your computer screen. Like you can build a sense of intimacy with people that you've never met through your computer. And I think that Caleb feels like he's building a sense of intimacy with Ava, even though I don't think even at the end, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think they ever actually touch. They never the touch. Right there, or does she help no. him up at the end? No, she never she does she not touch him. She tells no. him to stay there. <laughs> um, yeah. That's that's actually the only scene in which they're not separated by glass, I believe. No, but yeah. then she even moves to and becomes separated again. Right. They're never in the same room for more than a few seconds. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, I... <laughs> I think the the duplicity angle there is interesting because one of my favorite shots of the movie is we find out that these power outages that keep happening are caused by Ava. And she does them intentionally. That way she can speak um, to Caleb without the CCTV and the audio, you know, keeping track of what they're doing. Because, of course, Nathan's watching them. I realized we haven't really explained the premise of this movie, so we'll do that next. Um, But there's this scene where they're talking and talking and then the lights turn off and the power goes off and her facial expression just immediately switches like just like a light switch and she starts warning him about the dangers of nathan and then it comes back up and she immediately switches right back because of course she's causing it so i imagine she can decide when it turns back on um and that element of her character is really neat because you don't get a lot of why she's warning him until the very end of the movie um i do want to back up a bit too because we should mention for listeners who don't watch the movie that essentially the reason Caleb is brought in is to be part of this Turing test to determine whether or not she can pass for human emotionally with empathy and love and anger and in conversation. That's what is, I mean, that's, that is what's going on. Yes, but that's not fully what's happening. That's right. Right. So why don't you lay that out? Uh, well, he wants to uh, uh, Nathan, her creator, played by Oscar Isaac, wants to see if Ava is capable of escaping, um, of using, uh, of finding a means to escape because she's locked in a room, and so uh, Caleb is brought in and to see it, how he reacts to Ava and if Ava can basically manipulate him to the point of getting him to help her escape. And so the, the, 
his component of it is he's kind of a lonely guy. <laughs> That's kind of the sad truth of him. Is he's a guy that's got really, no girlfriend. He's got, got no girl no family. No parents. Yeah. So it's someone and uh, as pointed out before, she her appearance was built based on his porn search history. <laughs> so uh he's he's being manipulated from all sides, kind of from the go. No kidding. And Nicole, you put in our docket, is he also a test subject or or are his reactions incidental? Um that's a really good question. I mean, he, he screws up the test at the end for sure. I mean, yes, Ava does what what was intended, but he certainly doesn't. Uh, he almost gets, he's like a stage five clinger toward the end, I think, because five days with this girl and he's ready to do this. He's ready to break her out of jail like this and risk his life. So maybe that goes oh. back to the whole loner aspect. He's also watching her longingly on the CCTV that's true it was many hours of those five days uh so is he also a test (laughs) subject let's talk about that that's an interesting idea nicole what do you think well i mean he's he's a tool you know nathan's using him to see he's just the not the bait but a little bit (laughs) It's yeah, kind he's, of the bait. he's the lever. He's the lever for the yes. rat to use to open the door. Right. Um, he's, yeah, it's not quite the cheese, but he's part. Right, of it. right. Um, but it struck me as I was watching it that is is uh, Nathan trying to gauge how humanity as a whole will respond to AI by using Caleb as a test subject. Interesting. You know, what are the things that he'll need to watch out for to make the AI maybe more palatable to humanity as a as a whole? And there's kind I of, think it, oh, go ahead, David. Oh, I was going to say, if Caleb is a little bit of representation of people, it's yeah, it is. What is this AI capable of? So if it's capable of escape, what else can it do? What else can it convince people to do for it? Because it can use sympathy, empathy, its sexuality, kind, all these things. Right. I think there's kind of two conflicting views from Nathan's point of view. The first of which is, I am godlike. I want to create these to be subservient to me. I, some I don't of, think some he of does. The, but... He literally has one of them as a slave. Yes, but he's also trying to make one that will one day surpass him. See, that's the thing. It's, that's the other part of it. Is that then the other side is is you know he has this comment where in in five thousand years a bunch of AI are going to be digging up you know our fossils and we're just going to be upright apes that learned how to make tools. Um, so he does acknowledge that this is potentially the future of humanity, quote unquote. But he definitely does have like the godlike complex, and he definitely has, in his track record with the previous androids, been very diminutive over them. Yeah, I guess his end goal, I think, is to be the first one to do this. Is to be the one whose name will go down and hit. Like he sees this as an is an inevitability, so he's like, "Well, I should be the one that does it then." Uh, I, I, people should remember me as the person that did it and not someone else. Right. What do you think, Nicole? 
I I think David's right. I think that's where he's going. He sees this as this is coming. Why you know? I think maybe his thought process was, well, this is definitely coming. So I'm capable of creating this. Why don't I do it? And that way, it's not some you know pleb out there in the world screwing it up. He totally would say pleb. You know, making making something subpar when he can refine it in his little workshop in a Norwegian mountainside. Um, right. <laughs> yeah. Like the, the <laughs> if the world is watching, like there's going to be all these regulations and making sure they're doing it right. But he's going to do it his way, uh, which is right. But I mean, I just realize I just realized that it's like an inch away from being Doctor Evil's volcano lair. <laughs> <laughs> Well, at one point they are having the conversation in front of like an iceberg. Yeah, I'm like yeah, this is totally glacier. like yeah, the <laughs> glacier. Like I'm like this is totally like a Bond villain layer. <laughs> but the interior yeah. design is on point. It is on point. Yeah, yeah. And some of the interior is actually a hotel that they found in Norway. With well, that makes sense. That tracks architecture. Yeah, especially with the key cards in front of all the doorways. <laughs> oh yeah, that was a nice way of covering that. Right. Um, so one of the points that Caleb makes when he's trying to determine whether or not she passed the Turing test is he makes the point that if you just work with a computer that knows how to play chess and you find out all the ways it can play chess, and I don't remember the exact quote, but essentially what you're doing is you're not figuring out whether or not it knows what chess is, right? You're not the grand mm-hmm. picture of this. AI's existence is not understood if all it knows how to do is the one thing it was programmed for and it does it really well. Right. Does um, it know it, it'll it'll know the rules of chess? Does it know what chess is? Exactly. Right. It will know if it receives X data, then Y would be the optimal response. So that is what it should produce. Mm-hmm. So my question to you guys is whether or not you feel she passed it. And and one thing I do want to throw out there when I was thinking about the chess analogy is I think she does in the sense that it's never explicitly fed to her in any way, shape, or form that she can use Caleb as a means of escape. She's playing the game in her mind where the game was never explained to her. She just understands inherently that this is a way out. And then later on, when it comes to Caleb's fate, she makes another decision, seemingly out of self-preservation in my opinion, but those are decisions of you understanding inherently. I understand what this game is. I'm not just playing the part I was programmed to play. Yeah. I, <laughs> Nicole has a thought. I, she, had a, she had a thinking face. No, so. I do, but I also see, I see David also has a thought. So go ahead. Yeah. No, I was, I was thinking about um, like chatbots because chatbots were a thing, have been a thing. Uh, there's a great internet historian video about um, one of them. Uh, I think it was called Zoe that Microsoft put out. And basically, Zoe, you could have conversations with Zoe, but you know she had she would respond to you, but it would eventually learn the responses, like how to respond to things based on what information people fed her. It was very much that same thing of she would never pass the Turing test because she was just even if you could have a conversation where it's like, Oh, that's such like a human response. 
it's really just because she's been programmed to do that or she's going to respond to things in certain ways. And of course, eventually 4chan turned her into a Nazi because that's what 4chan does. <laughs> remember Zoe. Yeah. Yeah. It got, it I got real I was thinking bad about that as you were talking. I was like, is he going to yeah, mention I, the Nazis? Yeah. I think you have to, if you're, <laughs> you're going to mention Zoe. <laughs> uh, but that's like, that's like, like, right. Like her, her quote unquote personality is what is being fed to her, even from like other people who aren't her programmers. Where Ava, it seems like, has a personality, has developed thoughts and feelings, and is expressing them in her own ways. Um, I think I, I, I thought at first when uh, when Oscar Isaac tells her to stop, like I'm like, why didn't you program something in her to make her stop? But then I realized that's not the point. The point is to not have that control over her; is to have her be free. And I think ultimately, the question of does she pass the Turing test or not? Like, yeah, I think she does. That's a, yeah, that's a long walk for a short drink of water, but that's my <laughs> answer. Uh, Nicole, I think she passes, but I think she she knows how to respond in order to pass, but that doesn't mean that her consciousness is human. Like mm. I suspect mm. that it started with that as its base, but that her thought process may be at least partially uh, alien to us, something that we can't understand at all that has developed on its own as but. a machine. <sighs> Oh, well, I guess, yeah, if the point of the Turing test is whether or not she's human, like... It's whether or not she can no? pass as human. It's not whether or not she's actually human. Right, and, yes. and to your point, she does understand the steps just enough to pass to get out, right? Like, we don't know what happens to her afterward. It's all ambiguous. All we know is that she, she did well to, enough to get out. Yeah, she knows how to pass, but we don't know if she would want to pass all the time. You know, when mm. she talks to Kyoko, we don't hear what she says. You know, I think Alex Garland, the, the writer-director, said that she speaks to Kyoko in machine language, and we don't know exactly what she says. <laughs> Just a bunch um, of ones and zeros. <laughs> right. That's <laughs> all it is. But Kyoko understands her perfectly, and they execute a plan together. Um. So, I mean, she has, <sighs> I think you could argue both ways about whether what she does with Caleb at the end shows her to be really human or not. You know, she does you make could a argue... choice. She does. She makes a choice and... You know, her choice could be seen as self-preservation or selfish, which is a human trait. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> but if she spared him, you know, and and made sure that he could get out, that would also be a human trait. That would be having mercy on him and feeling sorry for him and, you know, being empathetic toward him would could be seen as the human response in that case. So, so both choices are choices that various humans would make, just probably not the same one. And have various right. consequences. Absolutely. Now, let's dial it back a couple notches where we get to this ending, since we're already alluding to what happens, which is uh, 
there's this great scene where um, Oscar Isaac comes to Caleb, uh, Nathan comes to Caleb, and he's like, hey, I installed a battery-powered CCTV footage so I could watch you guys during the power outages. And then he shows him back the footage of them planning the big escape. And then uh, Caleb comes back at him and says, uh, yeah, but basically they have a back and forth where it's like, I outsmarted you, you outsmarted me. I outsmarted you again because ultimately what ended up happening is Caleb did steal his key card as planned just the night before, not that night. And he had pre-programmed all these doors to all lock. Uh, The plan was to lock Nathan inside as they escaped. It is so satisfying. Real quick. I just want to say it's so satisfying when Caleb tells him, well, it's like, good thing I already did all those things. Cause it's like, yeah, somebody did something you didn't see coming nathan take that like sure it's about to go really terrible for both of you but for this one moment take that yeah so so what ends up happening then is is as kyoko and and uh, ava have that conversation they plot to kill uh seemingly plot to kill uh nathan and and they stab him and it's it's like buttery smooth that knife going in i'm saying this because it makes david uncomfortable stop it oh it's so uncomfortable there's like not even a sound it just goes in like a like a pillow well kyoko stabs him in the back first right there's double stabs eva takes a a run at him knocks him down and starts to try to strangle him i think and does, then he yeah. manages to turn the tables and get on top of her, but then Kyoko stabs him in the back. And right. so literally, quite literally yeah. stabbed him. <laughs> but then so he Ava's flips around again, and, and Ava does get him again with a kitchen knife. Oh, right yeah. in the, it's right in no, the. No, I don't think organs. it's a. I don't think it's a kitchen knife. I think I it's think, a. I think it's a tanto. Oh. I think it's he, a, a Japanese blade, which is are, sort which, of which of course that, he would have just laying yeah, around, right? Yeah. Are we doing the bodyguard all over again? Is he keeping <laughs> a super sharp Japanese blade above his bed? I don't know about above his bed, but somewhere in that house. Yeah, he would. <laughs> he is that kind of guy. Uh, so yeah, they, they they he bleeds out on the floor, and then she comes and just incredibly manipulative fashion comes to Caleb and says, Hey, stay here as if to tell him that it's okay. I'm going to come back for you where she goes instead and leaves his ass there closes all the doors. The fate that would have befallen Nathan has now befallen Caleb. And Caleb makes it worse by trying to, you know, log into Nathan's computer. And the second he puts the key card in the computer, the power goes out. Yep. Uh huh. <laughs> so there's so, there's a couple his couple backfires. There's a couple yeah. paths I want to draw from this. The first of which is, you know, is it a better ending if Caleb's fate is more ambiguous? This was a question that I was thinking of because when reading an interview with Garland, he says, you know, in this theoretical Caleb cut, as they called it, you know, as soon as that power cuts when he puts the key card into the power into the console, if the movie had ended there, we we know she betrayed him and left him but we don't really know if he if he's able to get out whereas the way the movie is shot he fails at the console and then just resorts to hitting a you know bulletproof glass door with a chair to no avail we don't know for sure that he dies there though there's a lot of him i was thinking about this there's a lot of ambiguity in that ending because he's 
shown not necessarily to have, you know, he doesn't have a girlfriend. He doesn't have uh, a family, but he has a job and he seems to have friends and like people know where he is. But do they know where that estate is? Only the the private helicopter dude takes him out there. He's also the one that picks Ava up for some reason at the end. Well, what did she say to him? <laughs> yeah, like, no, like, no, what? I'm, I'm the one leaving. No, you didn't drop me off here, but you're taking me out. Right. And also, there's there's no internet. There's no phones. You can't even access the place. All there's right, not going to be any vehicles out there. Fine, I'm going to say, died. like, he is toast. Yeah, <laughs> there's no good way Caleb gets out of this. Uh, so what do you guys think? Is it better if it's even more ambiguous? Um, if it just cuts to black when he's trying to get out? I I would be more comfortable with that, you know, but I, I actually, when I first saw this movie, uh, I went to an early screening at the Kendall Cinema in Cambridge and Alex Garland was there and did a little Q&A afterward and it is clear he does not give a rat's ass about (laughs) Caleb or Nathan by the end of the movie that he whatever happens to them fine you know because his sympathy is entirely with Ava and wanting her to get out yeah and I'm just like I, and the first time I saw the movie, I was like, oh, my God, that's horrible. You know, he's just such a sweet guy. And then this, as I was watching it this time, at first in the movie, I was I was kind of against him. Because the first couple of days, he's really condescending. Like, the first day he talks to it like it's a, like it's a smart chess computer, almost. You know, the mm-hmm. second day he talks to Ava like she's a precocious child. And it just slowly starts to treat her more like a person and then like a smart person. (laughs) Yeah. There's a little bit of like damsel in distress. And I know she's, I mean, she is a damsel in distress in a way. And she's also playing it up a little bit to get his extra affection. But like, you can tell he wants to be the one that saves her. And he like, definitely. Yeah. He's playing. He's, I don't know. It's you definitely get the sense like Caleb uh, or Nathan was not wrong. Like you definitely get that feeling of like, ah, dude's a little lonely. Like robot girl shows some affection and he's like, all right, I'm ready to do whatever I have to for you. Right. Because as as Nathan lays out, you know, there's three potential scenarios, which is uh, she doesn't like him. She likes him. Or as they, you know, talk about later in the film, uh, she's pretending to like you, which is where I, I, I think a, a large part of the movie is. Um, I want to talk about the valid reasons for leaving him for dead under, under the pretense that he will likely die out there. Um, my thought was that when I saw this was she's not ready for prime time in the sense that the entire world does not need to know she exists and she probably doesn't want them to. And I, I think she's lived the entirety of what her life is under the thumb of Nathan. Um, and there's a risk if they leave together that he now holds similar power. I know what you are. I know where you come from. And she doesn't quite have that level of freedom if she had just left alone. So my thought was that she leaves him for that reason that it is a level of self-preservation that maybe it's not even necessarily personal 
I don't know how it could be. They've known each other five days and he's already ring shopping. But the point stands. I, I think she does that out of preservation. What do you guys think? Hmm. It's like, I think she's, she's not using, she's not using human reasoning to do it because she's, she's entirely indifferent to him. And you can see that when she walks out, you know, instead of pausing at the suite and after she's dressed and has the skin and the clothes and the wig on and saying, wait here one more minute, I need to go get something or what have you. She just, wa- as soon as she is presentable, she walks straight out of the suite and lets it lock behind her and gets into the elevator and doesn't look back for nope. a second. She does. She looks at the very last minute. She looks she kind towards of them. Looks a little bit toward him, but not in any sort of sympathetic way. Just like, yes, I hear you, you know. I don't, I I I, I kind of see from Brett's perspective where it's it is a little bit of preservation. Where if she is going to be out in the world, the way she wants to, if she's going to be truly free. She has to be as free from uh, as far from her origin as she can be, and that means like nobody can know where she came from. Uh, she probably murdered that helicopter pilot. Like she, <laughs> that, that guy's probably dead. Uh, if you know, just to cover all bases. But for her to for her to live out in the world, like it, it might be a little bit of like com- computer logic. But I think she does have to cover herself. And that if there's anyone out there who could expose what she is or try to exercise power over her, she's never going to really feel free. Yeah, it, it, part of it for me is you must also wonder just like the man part of it, right? Like she's being controlled by a man with Nathan and I could see, and maybe this is too human for her to realize I could see uh, Caleb becoming problematic. Uh, <laughs> I could oh, he's, see him he's, becoming he's very attached to her. He's very clingy. <laughs> yeah, and I could see her just not wanting to devote the the mental processing and you know what I would call emotional energy if it were a person, but just her literal processing power. Her, yeah, any of her processing power toward continuing to manipulate him into staying on her side and not revealing her secret to anyone. Well, and you know, she's just getting out there for the first time. She doesn't know who she is yet. She's not ready for a relationship. She has to figure <laughs> out who she she's is. To learn to if love you herself. can't live exactly. with yourself, how are you going to live with somebody? Um, so does she have <laughs> morals? Mm-hmm. Because I, I feel like I, that would be part of a Turing test in a way. I mean, I guess the Turing test is passing as human, but the next level of that is these elements of humanity, like having a moral compass. I don't know. I I think she's amoral at yeah. the end of the movie. It's not that she's immoral or moral and doing this just because she has to, but she's she's doing what she feels is necessary because that's the most efficient thing. Yeah, I think to Nicole's point throughout this conversation, she is not human because she is computer. She has just been fed information. She has never, outside of of Nathan, who she hates, 
uh, and Caleb, who she's using, she's never interacted with a person. She has never had a real conversation with, with anyone. She knows everything, but she doesn't, uh, she's never experienced kind of the real world. So I don't think, I, I think she is amoral at this point because aside from the murders which are you know not they're not exactly moral but i think she doesn't really i think that, that tells kind of the, the i'm just going to say person because you know she's going out presumably to live as a person or be the queen of humanity again we don't know uh, <laughs> but she does make a choice of you know she is a a person who protects herself and and believes in her own self-preservation but we don't know what that looks like the for the day to day who she's going to be in every other aspect of her presumably endless life. How is she going to charge induction <laughs> plates? I'm but, sure she can build some. Yeah, I'm sure she'll be fine. She'll figure out how she's yeah, smart. Right? She knows um, literally everything. Yeah. She'll get a couple of those wireless, you know, iPad wall. Just lay them, just lay down on them on a bed. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, in an interview with Garland too, he he mentioned that you know humans have like selective empathy. Um, now I feel like first of all, I feel like if you have selective empathy, that's like inherently a little a little sociopathic. Um, <laughs> like I feel like you should have empathy for most things, um, but I do get what he's saying in the sense that um, you know there, there's just some things that that each of us just doesn't have a lot of empathy for. We just don't particularly care for and not negative. doesn't mean we're necessarily, uh, we don't like anything. We just don't have empathy towards something. And that might be kind of how she is with him toward the end. She just doesn't care. I think that's, that's a universal human thing. I mean, there, there are certain people in this world where if, if they were to die, I would be, crushed and it would take me years to recover and there are certain oh, people you. in this world that if they died i would be you know what i think we're better off you know <laughs> but there's like the middle ground too it's like someone dies and you're like yeah okay right like well, yeah i mean that's like that's most what celebrity at. death that's most celebrity deaths right where it's like oh i mean that sucks for them yeah, and their I feel family. bad for their family yeah 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 she well her family was kyoko i guess and the other robot girls she stole the skin from. I feel bad for Kyoko, definitely. Oh, yeah. Kyoko is the one I feel like the worst for. I'm like, <laughs> man, she had it rough. <laughs> Kyoko really had the short end of the stick throughout the entire movie. Uh, moving to a couple of our final discussion topics as well. Uh, would the movie be a little stronger if it started with Caleb's arrival instead of showing him in the real world, uh, giving us a reason to doubt his humanity? I wrote that in there because there's a point where he doubts his humanity, where he starts to wonder, yeah. am I a yeah, robot? That is such a cool scene. It is a really cool scene, but it's also like a little as a, as a, a viewer of the film, and this is like my fourth time seeing it. So, you know, I, I know the beats a, a lot more, but like in the beginning of the movie, you see him with people out in the real world. It seems like he has like a history or a life at least. So that I feel like that scene, if that's the part they were going to go, would be more impactful if, it was like, but wait, we never saw him anywhere else. We only saw him here at the estate. I don't know. What do you guys think? Well, my interpretation yeah. of the scene, firstly, is that 
Garland threw it in because he's like, we don't need to have conversations for the next 50 years about whether or not this guy is human and whether or yes. not the top is still spinning. Um, <laughs> I, I, like, I we, I'm going to make this definitive because that's not the point I'm trying to make. Um, that was the first thing I gleaned from that. Uh, I don't know. Nicole, what do you think? Whether it would be stronger if we were questioning that? I think it would... I think it would add a different dimension to the movie. I think it would take them, give the movie a different tone. Would it be a little we bit gimmicky though? It. That's my like, concern. Yeah, I think it'd like, be a little too Blade Runner. Yeah, I we think so too. Wondering that, right? I, I'd I be worried about that. Cool. I think it's. I think it's interesting that it gets this whole question of artificial intelligence and how do you know gets so far in his head that he starts to wonder. He's like wow, you know, I don't really have a past. And are these scars really from an accident? And mm -hmm. big kudos to Donald Gleason for portraying this whole thought process of questioning his own origins and his own humanity without saying anything. Mm -hmm. He's just examining himself minutely well, in a mirror and you can... You can deduce all this just by what he's doing and the expression of concern on his face. Mm -hmm. and, and he's repeating the actions he saw Kyoko do, right? Like he goes to check the skin on his side. He's like, well, but then he has that the thought process again without any words. He's like, well, I don't know. I wouldn't know how to do that, would I? So, I, I you know, let me get a razor and really dig in there just to be sure, which ugh, mm. also not a fan of that. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. You're uh, taking the safety razor apart. <laughs> I know. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I, did he have to cut so deep? Okay. Um, I'm going to move yes, that. Yes, he did. <laughs> he cuts deep and then he like stretches it wide open he and just like, double checks. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And then smears the blood on the mirror. Ooh. Right. Uh, yeah. So, Nicole, you put in our docket, Get Down Saturday Night, which is, of course, yeah. the song in the movie. Um what is it? You, first of all, I feel like this is a good segue into the music as a whole. Um, aside from this song, it's mostly just like outtakes from what I assume was the original Tron score of just How like dare you? No, <laughs> it's just like <laughs> and that's kind it's of that's, one of the band members. At least one of the band members from Portishead uh, is okay. One of the two musicians that worked on this score. Yeah, I, I'm not. Um, I'm not. I'm not down on it. It's just one of those scores where, like, you look at the track list and there was only like six songs because there only needed to be like six songs because they used it yeah. sparingly. Long, yeah, there are long periods with no score in the movie or where yeah. it's extremely subtle, way in the background. And you know, I I give them full credit for um, when they introduce Ava. You know, Alex Garland was super clear with them that he wanted no even vague hint of potential future menace to come from it. So they just went with chimes, hmm. you know, sort of a xylophone sound. And it it adds this childlike uh, innocence to her at the beginning because it yes. sounds like, you know, a toy xylophone that a, a child would play with. That, At that, least here in the U.S., it's a very common toy. I love that first reveal of her, where you you see her kind of in silhouette, but because of how she's built, you can see through her. But it does have that really, like, the way she moves 
does have this sort of innocence about it a little bit, like a little bit of a childish innocence while still like, you're like, I can see through her. It's just, there's so much happening visually when you first get a look at her and it's so good. Yeah, absolutely. But back to get down Saturday night, uh, where yes. Oscar <laughs> Isaac, um, wearing what is like gr- generously called a shirt, uh, shows <laughs> up. Disco shirt. It's a it's disco shirt down to the belly button, basically. <laughs> comes in to start dancing with Kyoko um, because he sends Kyoko off to try to, you know, um, sleep with Caleb, and then shows up in the room. Which, first of all, if you were already going to do that, no. why would you also show no, up? No, 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 he, no, no, no. Caleb was just poking around and like yeah, ran, was trying was. to talk to her. Oh, okay. She, she just assumed just that's what he there. wanted. Yeah, she was contemplating the Pollock painting. Okay, when Caleb right. Wanders in to try to find Nathan, and right. because because of Nathan being a kind of a bastard man, she's like, "Oh, you want sex?" Because that's what okay, happens. Yeah, that's you. what happens yeah, when he, Nathan comes and finds me. Right. He reaches out, and you know, Caleb reaches out and touches her shoulders, and she's like, "Oh, touching." Okay, it's time yeah. for touching. Okay, me. gotcha. Um, but yeah, then he comes in and starts playing "Get Down Saturday Night." Well. Like disco lights appear, kind of. Yes. Uh, yeah. Switch on the wall. It's a hell it's a of a switch. scene. You can't, you can't convince me. It's not like one of the best scenes in the whole movie. It's so great. It's one of my favorite scenes in cinema. It's well, a total it implies, shift. It implies so much, and it serves a purpose. You know, it's mm-hmm. it serves a couple of purposes. One, it gives you, you know, this movie is super oppressive in ways because it's all indoors it's very claustrophobic it's very tech heavy you know you feel and when you're watching with subtitles on all everything is ominous yes robbing ominous music (laughs) right ominous music ominous hum ominous whatever (laughs) um so it serves as like a, a break you know there's not a lot of there's a little bit of sense of humor to this movie, but there's no comic relief, so to speak. So it needs something to break the tension, at least briefly, and the dance number serves to do that. But it also serves to show, it serves as Caleb's turning point, where he's like, oh, oh, this guy is a monster. This guy is just completely detached from the way normal humans should behave you know, and because uh, this is a very inappropriate response to the questions I've been asking. <laughs> um, but then it also serves to show who Nathan is. You know, this is a practiced dance routine. The yes, part, they, they, they synchronize. This is something that he's done with Kyoko more than once. They have all the steps worked out. Yeah, which is another reason why I wanted to give a big shout out to uh, Sonoya Mizuno because she kills it with that dance with she a deadpan face. Yes. Yeah. Well, she's and, also a dancer. She's got a dance background, just like Alicia Vikander has. Yeah. Ugh, she's great. What can't she do? Is, is this our <laughs> best Oscar Isaac villain? Does this beat out um, his like Nazi stand-in and sucker punch? Oh god, oh, I forgot god. about that. He's this, not great in Sucker Punch. No, this, he's not. And I've seen him 
Well, I've seen him as a villain in a movie called Mojave with him and Garrett Hedlund, and he was that's that was an instance of him chewing the scenery and nobody holding him back, and that was a mistake. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I was gonna say because he's Sucker Punch, he's he's working with what he's got there, right? Like he's still, yeah, you, you can still tell, like, oh, there's a good actor here, but it's still Sucker Punch, where. <laughs> Where this character, for all of his uh, maniacal ways, feels very grounded still. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's like agreed. a it's like a, a hipster bro Steve Jobs kind of. Yeah, yeah. There's totally that like Silicon Fa- Valley bro, which is like a new breed of Silicon Valley techie that he very much embodies. Um, I will also say as a as a hint for distant future. This is not the last time we will see Oscar Isaac in future classics, if I have anything to do with it. So well, not, I thought you were just going to say it's not the last time we're going to see it's Oscar Isaac. It's not the first Isaac, time like, we've seen Oscar Isaac in a future classic. Oh, that's true. What else? You're the we one see who brought then? us Last Jedi. Oh goodness! All right. Well, I'm bringing well, another wait, one wait, at some point wait, that wait, he's wait, also didn't in. Do, didn't we do Drive? He's in Drive. Oh, he is in yes. Drive. Holy crap! You're right. Oh, that's right. Yeah. 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 Guys, Oscar. But he's not a villain in Drive. <laughs> no, he's not. But he's still. He, he was still. We've we've seen a lot of Oscar Isaac, is what I'm trying yeah, to say. That's true. Yeah, yeah. Well, and that was uh, a future classic as well. Yeah, I'll, I'll be bringing more. <laughs> um, what happens next? We'll close to that discussion. We kind of looped around it in the sense that she might not be able to totally interface with humanity, or does she want to? What uh, do you think happens talk about next? The dance number some more. <laughs> I mean, that's it's it's a that's a big question. That's a hard one to answer. I think she goes and visits various. I think as we talked about in Slack earlier today, uh, various intersections and roundabouts and flyovers and all sorts. She really wanted to see traffic, from what she described. No, no, no. She wanted to people to see watch. People. She wanted the people watch, which you can do if you're standing in an intersection in traffic. Yeah, she's or going at least to LA. She said that she wanted to people watch. Yes, right. I, who knows what she actually wants to do right that's that's the that's the difficult thing is because you you learn towards the end that everything she's done has kind of been a deception so what has she said to caleb that wasn't true or was she just telling him to get him to sympathize yeah has she said anything to him that was true yeah that's the thing is everything we only get two three minutes with her in, in, in free at the end of the movie and it's all she doesn't speak and we don't really see her do a ton yes and i figured it out i know what, what she does she knows she, she has the access she has access to everything on the internet uh so she has the longest run on jeopardy of any contestant <laughs> <laughs> wins a lot of money and just lives a cushy life, I guess. I thought you were going to go the other way. I thought you were going to say she has access to everything on the internet. She immediately goes and powers herself down. I can't deal <laughs> with all that. Um, yeah, I mean, but to Nicole's point, we don't know. If, at the end of this movie, we have absolutely no idea what her personality is. Yeah. Because we don't know what's deception. We don't know what's true. Um, we don't know if she now hates humans. And is that part of the reason she leaves Caleb? Is she going to go be the stereotypical destroy humanity robot is she gonna watch traffic we just don't know i don't think i don't think she would go because there's not other robots like her right she's not gonna go lead the robot uprising unless she goes and like builds more of herself but she still is killable 
I don't think she would risk like now I'm going to subjugate humanity because like a, seemingly a couple fragile. of bullets will take her down. Yeah. Yeah. Seemingly <laughs> fragile. I mean, he breaks off her arm with with the part of with the middle part of a dumbbell. Yeah. I mean, she's she's breakable, certainly. Mm-hmm. So she's going to have to use caution. But it suddenly it struck me. It's like, is she is she going to try to lead humanity or is she just going to try to hide out? Yeah. Is she going to, she was programmed by someone extremely ambitious and selfish. Um, you know, is, is she going to lead humanity to destruction? Is she going to lead humanity into a new era? Is she the technological equivalent of the antichrist? Ooh, yeah you know if she was if her AI was derived from all the search histories and uh, profiles of people on the internet is she going to be the worst of humanity or the best of humanity she she will definitely be the worst of humanity because that outweighs on internet (laughs) But that, but does that, it though, or is it just the most visible part of the internet? But, you're, but you're right. I joke. Yeah, but it, but again, that goes back to that question, kind of of the Zoe thing, where Zoe was influenced by the input from other people, where she is just all the information. She knows what. Well, but we don't even know if necessarily she knows what people have searched, or if she just knows every Wikipedia article ever. Yeah, it's not really fully explained to us. It's explained to us that the, that the way the extent of her powers, right? Because we it is explained to us that the way that he programmed her to be as realistic as she is is because she had the most possible inputs of data. But it's not really explained how much of that data is really retained and like how she can access it and utilize it. I guess that's not relevant to the plot, but it, it certainly would be if you were to, you know, talk about her out in the big wide world how does she parse it and interpret it and to what purpose how does she take her coffee all ab- can <laughs> she like she takes her men <laughs> <laughs> input as you will <laughs> all righty well i However think that's she a- feels like making it that day yeah. that's there you go <laughs> I think that's a good ending point for us with Ex Machina. Uh, is there anything else anyone wanted to talk about before I go around the horn and see if we're voting it as a future classic? Uh, in typical David fashion, I'm going to point out something else vaguely related to this movie. Uh, there is an upcoming miniseries on Hulu called Devs that's coming out, written and directed by Alex Garland and uh, starring Sonoya Mizuno that I found out about while uh, going through notes for this show. And I'm very excited about that. Yeah. (laughs) And Nick Offerman. It's got like everything I want. Ooh. Nick Offerman makes everything better. That'll be pretty cool. Very cool. All right. Well, let's, let's go around the horn. We'll start with Nicole, uh, whether or not you deem this a future classic and if so, in what capacity? Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I mean, it's, it wasn't a huge box office success. I believe it made its money back. Mm-hmm. But I love smart science fiction. 
where it explains just enough that people who aren't already familiar with the concepts that are discussed uh, can follow along, but people who already do have that knowledge get even more deeply engaged with it. Um, this was a movie where, you know, uh, my then boyfriend, now fiance, walked out of it and talked about it for like the next hour and a half. <laughs> and after I watched it, I talked with him for like another hour again last night, getting ready for the podcast. It's the kind of thing that you can sit and discuss all the concepts inside it for ages and people do and will. And it's relevant today even more than it was when it was made six years ago. I was gonna, yeah, just a few years ago. <laughs> it's been proven that corporations are using this data to, to manipulate people. This, this, you know, people's search data is being used to sell them things and sell them political candidates and uh, so information and misinformation and. What's going? What is it going to be used for in the future? And that humanity needs to be alert to that. I think it's going to be even more relevant ten years from now. So yes, I definitely think this is a a future classic. It's beautifully made and beautifully acted, and is going to be relevant for quite some time to come. Certainly, I I think I agree wholeheartedly. This is a film where you're so engrossed in it, you forget that it's it's only like 90 minutes long or something like that? What? No, it's two hours. Oh, okay. Well, wow. Okay, so... But it doesn't it, feel like two hours. It feels yeah. like a 90-minute film uh, to the, to its credit and carried by three people largely uh, is just such an impressive feat on behalf of all three actors and how well they perform. Uh, and, and that in itself is really remarkable to me because that's very difficult and I can't think of a lot of other movies like that. And just the visual effects of it they're so polished. It is this beautiful piece of art. When filming around so many mirrors and 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 glass and panels, and changing around the colors when they're dropping to these dark reds when she's turning off the power and then popping right back up to these, uh, you know, really bright scenes. It's all filmed so beautifully. They handle it so well, um, and that's difficult to do. It's very difficult camera work, especially with all this glass around you. And all these reflective surfaces. And then lastly, I, I really do want to mention that we've had the conversation on this podcast and Geek Cinema of, you know, what does it mean to be human? And at what point does it become human? And all those different things. And this is the first time in a while that we've had that conversation in a way that has felt entirely different. We don't know how this ends for her character. That ambiguity incites a ton of discussion both into her motivations and the kind of person she would be, whether or not she's lying to him the entire time or some of the time. There's all this intricacy in the character of Ava. And I think that is what would really make this a classic film. There's so much to it that you can talk about it for an hour and 15 like we just did. And <laughs> gosh, we talked about it for over you know 60% of the movie's length. And that's really <laughs> impressive. Um so, yeah, I was super excited to see this for the first time. I was the oddball out here that had never seen it. Um, absolutely loved it. Uh, David, any closing oh. thoughts on your pick? I'm glad that it was that everyone agreed and that, Brett, you enjoyed it so much for your first viewing. 
Yeah, absolutely. This is a film I would love to get like a Criterion cut of someday that has all those special features Ooh. and stuff. This would be That'd a good be cool. one for that. So, very good. Well, Nicole, remind us next week what we're going to be watching for Around the World. Uh, we're going to be watching Dangal, D-A-N-G-A-L. Very good. Be sure to check that out. David, where can people find you online? Uh, you can just find me on Twitter at Devlos. That's D-A-V-L-U-Z. You can find all the information there. Right on. And you, Nicole? I take care of our Facebook page, facebook.com slash podcast. Very good. You can find me on Twitter at I am Brett Stewart. You can email the show, hi, hi, at mgrpodcast.com. And if you go to that website, mgrpodcast.com, it's all revamped. It's really pretty. It's got lots of articles and fun stuff on it. It is worth your time to head on over there. Read oh, the articles from the 100th shout episode. Shout out to Brett, because he's not going to toot his own horn. Brett spent <laughs> hours and hours and hours and hours revamping this website yes. and putting up these articles. And making it fabulous and easy to use for you. So, <laughs> yeah, thank you. Brad, I really Brad, appreciate that. Um, and guys, it's mobile optimized. So <laughs> go over, do it on your cell phone. It won't look terrible anymore. Uh, but thank you. Right. And so, you can access all of our episodes on that website. Can they not? They can download that's or right. stream from there. You can download or stream from there. You can also click the links for all the major subscriptions. And also there's a link over there if you'd like to review us on Podchaser, which is becoming a more and more relevant platform. We'd love to get some folks to review us there as well as iTunes if you have the chance. Apple Podcasts. I guess we got to work our way out of saying Whatever. iTunes. What, whatever the thing that Apple, you know, the Apple behemoth <laughs> is running. Uh, that is that right. makes us more visible in searches. Apple, that's mm-hmm. the other one, right? I mentioned Microsoft earlier, along with Google and Amazon, but Apple's really the one that's literally in everyone's pockets. Mm, Apple, Google. <laughs> Not mine. This All right. Make it, maybe you'll make it paranoid. I've got China in my pocket with my OnePlus phone, so. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> there you go. All right, well, that'll do it for myself, David and Nicole. We'll see you next week with Around the World. <laughs>